They didn't realize we were seeds. They didn't realize you were seeds. They open doors so others can walk through them. Your legacy is every life you have ever touched. I'm Stella Sagliari and this is Salt the Podcast. Welcome to Sell the Podcast. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. My guest today is Judith Holzmann from Cat Calls of Nima. Judith lives in Nijmegen, the Netherlands, where she did a bachelor's in communication studies. During those studies, she spent some time in Canada, where she traveled and followed various courses in sociology. Once back in the Netherlands, and after finishing her studies, she decided to continue in this field by doing a minor in gender and sexuality. A new passion was born, and Judith dived into the world of feminism and activism and started a master's in gender studies. She graduated this summer and will soon start as an editor for BNN Vara, which is a broadcasting association and a network within the Dutch public broadcasting system. Further, she and her friend Rose founded Catcalls of Nima last year, an Instagram account against gender-based street harassment, where Judith and Rose write stories of harassment word for word in the spots where it happened. In this episode, we will speak about catcalls of Nima. We will speak about street harassment. We will speak about consent, feminism, Judith's favorite book, Her Salt, and much more. This episode also includes a trigger warning because we will include readings, discussions, and testimonies on sexual assault. Welcome, Judith, to Salt the Podcast. I'm very happy that you're here with us today. Yeah, thank you, Stella, for inviting me. This is actually uh, my first podcast, so I'm very excited. Amazing. So tell us, who is Judith? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I uh, I grew up in Oosterbeek, which is a small village close to Arnhem. Um, I lived there with my parents, my little brother, my sister. I really love cooking, baking, eating, <laughs> and luckily also uh, sports. So during my childhood, I uh, used to dance. I did a lot of street dance and hip hop. Um, but actually, I really wanted to do boxing, but I never did it because it was considered to be, you know, a sport for men. Um, yes, yeah, so when I went to university, a uh, new city, nobody knew me. I just thought, fuck it. So I started boxing and I've been doing it ever since. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I really like it. For me, it's really a, it's an outlet. So it's a way to process things that I might be going through and also challenge myself because it's very difficult and hard. Um, and actually, just before the pandemic, I started training for uh, for a real fight or like a boxing match. Um, but I found this very scary, uh, but also very exciting at the same time. Unfortunately, during one of the trainings, I ruptured my thumb. So <laughs> that didn't work out. And of course, the whole uh, match didn't go through either because of the pandemic. Um, so, yeah, now I'm just focusing on swimming. Um, and I also try to explore my more creative side as well, because I used to be very creative. But I think the more that I grew up, the less time I had for it or perhaps took for it. So since I have a lot of spare time right now, I am um, yeah, trying to water paint. Nice. So, yeah, that's very, yeah, it's more difficult than I expected, actually. <laughs> yeah. 
so that's uh, that's me basically yeah nice thank you a lot and of course we will get to know you better throughout the conversation and um Judith as I said in the introduction you and your friend Rose um you founded Cat Calls of Nima and of course we want to hear all about it so please tell us everything about this movement Okay, well, <laughs> here we go. Um, well, as you said, uh, Rose and I created this Instagram account in October last year. Um, catcalls refers to catcalling, which is a form of street harassment. And NIMA stands for um, Nijmegen, which is the city where I live. In the Netherlands? Yeah, in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the reason why we did it was because we both experienced uh, street harassment on a regular basis. Um, men have screamed at me, made comments about my body, touched me without consent at a bar, followed me while biking. And these are just some examples, but there have been many more. Um, and this, it made me angry. It made me frustrated and feel unsafe. And I also felt very powerless because in Nijmegen, there's not a, not a platform to make your experience known. So except for, of course, sharing it with your friends and family. Um, so yeah, Rose and I decided to create that platform ourselves. So that's what Cat Calls of Nima is. Um, the idea is that people can send in their experiences um, via a direct message, DM. Um, we go to the place where something happened and we chalk it down on the street. So it's actually a way to make uh, it known to the world what happened on that specific place. Um, and this Instagram is part of a global movement, which started in New York. And everyone can join this movement. So setting up an Instagram page for the city, it's always catcalls of followed by the name of the city. Um, and right now it is, uh, I think, in 50 different countries and 150 different cities. It is present, yeah. Yes, and how do people find out about you? How do they reach you? Well, for, at first it started with um, just our own social, like the people that we know. So mm -hmm. we told our friends and family that we were going to start this Instagram. They told their friends, of course, and their family. And that's kind of how it started rolling. Um, we also did some collaborations with new newspapers or with Radboud University. So also different other organizations to spread the word more. And I feel like right now it's mostly word to mouth mm -hmm. that people know about the Instagram or also uh, if people see us on the street chalking of course because that's also a moment that we start a conversation and tell what we are doing and why we are doing it yeah that would have been my next question like how do people react when they see you in the street because uh, what you're writing yeah. down is not like you're writing one two three four five you're yeah. really <laughs> writing down horrible words yeah um, in very big letters so yeah how do people react um, yeah, good question. Um, mostly people are very positive uh, that they support the things that we do and are also um, sometimes very happy that they know that there's now a platform that they can go to. Uh, but yeah, what you say, sometimes we write down difficult things, like, for example, whore. Uh, well, it's, it's rude. <laughs> and of course, you are writing it down on the street. And we have had someone who got angry because we were chalking it down. But at the same time, I also think, like, this is not really the problem. Like, we only chalk it down because it was said. Yeah. You know? The problem is the fact that it was said to someone. I think that is worse than just putting on the street, which will 
just be away in a few days. Yeah. We will now talk a bit more about street harassment. Um, Judith will present us some facts, some figures, some definitions. But I would like to share a testimony. We will be sharing a few throughout our conversation. And I will play one before we start talking about street harassment. I was 18 years old. I had just started university in a city far away from my hometown. And I went for a walk in the city mall late in the afternoon when an elderly man approached me and told me something that I couldn't understand at first. I thought he needed help, so I stopped. I was very ashamed, though, when I realized that he offered me 50 euros to have sex with him. The shock was so great that all I could do was to leave. Shame followed anger. I was upset that this man felt comfortable uh, harassing me sexually and insulting me. Growing up in a community with a strong Christian religious background, I have been told that the elderly always deserve our respect. So I felt so unprepared and unprotected to face this kind of incidents. So this is one testimony that I received. And I want um, you, Judith, to share a definition on street harassment with us. Yes, street harassment. It is, um, it is a form of sexual harassment uh, that occur occurs in the public space, such as transport, public transport, or on the streets. It, it consists mostly of unwanted sexual comments, provocative gestures, honking, whistling, stalking, or, for example, touching by, uh, by strangers. Yes. And I will play another testimony now. During my undergrad, it was quite normal to go out at night and get groped by men. And on numerous occasions, I had my ass, my boobs and my crotch grabbed. And I would generally act quite aggressively and turn around and push the individual and shout and sometimes slap them. And what I used to find almost more distressing was the response of peers and staff who would tell me that they thought my reaction was a little bit over the top and that I didn't need to make such a scene. And despite explaining what had happened to bouncers on a couple of occasions, I was thrown out of the premises and not the individual or individuals that had attacked me. Can I respond to this uh, testimony? Yes. Okay. Because I think that an important thing that she uh, mentions is the, the way that it's so normalized um, that if you respond to it, that, that people say that you make a scene, like you cause problems even though there's no problem. And I think that's the issue here because there is a problem and the only thing is that we point it out. Yeah. And also the response that you often get, and it's also what she explains, is that it's, it's going to be victim blaming. Like you are the one that's that has caused it, either has caused it or you are just making a problem. And I think that's a very, very good good point that she makes. And I think that's also a very big part of the issue that, that is uh, around street harassment. Yes. For me, with her, for instance, um, I asked her and uh, she sent me first a voice note with at least five different examples. And she says, if you want, I have more. Pick one. Isn't it crazy that we have so many examples? I myself have several, and we are now just in brackets talking about street harassment. We're not going into abuse and other 
topics. So yes, and 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 I spoke to many other people, and uh, the majority of people I spoke to, they all had examples. Yeah, I think street harassment is very present in the lives of so many women. I know that Amsterdam has conducted a research in 2018 um, and found that 81% of the women aged between 15 and 34 had experienced street harassment uh, in the 12 months before that research. But honestly, I think that there are so many cases of street harassment that goes unnoticed and that this number is actually so much higher. Um, because as you explained yourself, like you can ask the woman around you about their experiences and they don't have one, they have multiple experiences. Yes. And we also talked a little bit about it um, before we started this conversation. And the two testimonies that I played also show this. And the first one, we see that the person ran away. And the second one, we see that she fought back. And I will later play something else where you see that someone is freezing. So can you share a little bit about, uh, with us about this response of fight, flight, and freeze? Yeah, that's a, yeah. in general, there are three responses that people can have um, to street harassment. Of course, the fight, uh, as you mentioned, it could be people that ask uh, the perpetrator to stop. Uh, people could curse, give them the finger, uh, sometimes confront them. Um, but this could also be a difficult one because especially as a woman, you all also feel vulnerable. And if somebody attacks you on the street, it can be very dangerous for you as well to fight back. So there are also different responses that people could have. Of course, this is for everyone is different. And in a moment like that, your body just uh, does a certain response automatically. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people also have the flight response that you just literally get your body away from the situation and from the perpetrator. Um, so you, for example, just keep walking or you bow your head. Um, you want to get out of the situation as quick as possible. Um, so that's one of the responses that people can have. Um, or, of course, the freeze response, which means that you are just immobile, um, immobile, meaning that you can't have any behavior at all. You just freeze and you don't know what to do. And this is not giving consent or whatsoever it's just you your body literally freezes like you can't literally do something because you are in an unsafe situation yes and that's another important topic that we want to speak about today which is consent and um, before we start talking about it i will play a short testimony as well that also encapsulates uh, the freeze response I said no. He didn't care and did it anyway. I froze. So we decided to speak about sexual consent today. And before we start discussing it and after having played this short testimony, I would like to present the definition on sexual consent, some additional information, then we will talk about it. And after that, I will finish with another testimony. So sexual consent can be defined as an agreement between participants to engage in sexual activity. It should be clearly and freely communicated. Consent cannot be given by individuals who are underage, intoxicated, and incapacitated by drugs or alcohol, asleep or unconscious. If someone agrees to an activity under pressure of intimidation or threat, that is not seen as consent because it was not freely given. Unequal power relations also mean that consent cannot be freely given. Consent does not look like this. 
refusing to acknowledge no, a partner who is disengaged, non-responsive, or visibly upset, assuming that wearing certain clothes, flirting, or kissing is an invitation for anything more, someone being under the legal age of consent as defined by the state, someone being incapacitated because of drugs or alcohol, pressuring someone into sexual activity by using fear or intimidation, assuming you have permission to engage in a sexual act because you've done it in the past. This is information that I quoted from RAIN, the Rape, Abuse and Incest National Network, which is the US largest anti-sexual violence organization. And I think consent is a very important topic and I'm really happy to see that it's being more and more discussed. And yeah, I want to discuss it today with you. Yeah, I find it also very uh, very important that sexual consent is being discussed more. Um, actually, before starting the master's gender studies that we, of course, both uh, did, I was thinking about studying psycho- sexology in Leuven um, because I find sexuality, uh, as in sexual behavior, not necessarily your orientation, so intriguing because the way people give it shape is different for everyone. It is influenced by emotional as well as physical aspects. And your sexuality could be a valuable way to explore yourself, to learn more about who you are and what you want. It could be very empowering. Um, but at the same time, it's also very fragile. One negative experience can be destructive and can affect or even stand in the way of future sexual experiences. And that's why I also find sexual consent so extremely important. Um, yes. Yeah, I, th- I also think like we see rape as something that happens in a dark street, uh, like an alley uh, by a random stranger. But the thing is, is that it often happens by someone that you know. And that's also something that I find very confrontating. Yes. Yes. Like the testimony that I just played. Exactly. Like the testimony that you just played. Yeah. yeah. Very good and, example. And very often you don't know and... and the next testimony that I will play, it's a little bit of a longer one, makes this also clear. We also don't know that it's rape. I mean, I found out many years later that it's called date rape. You went on a date with somebody you liked, you were attracted to, maybe you could, you, you would have liked to have sex with that person at one point, but not in that moment. And then the person is, um, yeah, not accepting your no, right? As I said earlier, refusing to acknowledge no means you yeah you don't have consent and then it still happens and then we freeze or we fight or we flight yeah and i think it's so like so difficult to hear especially i feel like so many women afterwards also uh, get angry at themselves yeah because like the one of the testimonies about street harassment she also said that she felt shame yeah like we we think better about ourselves instead yeah. of the one that does the act itself. Yeah. It's like what you said before is is the victim blaming either by mm-hmm. others or by ourselves because of the way we have been conditioned. Um either as a woman you have to do this, as a woman you have to do that or you grew up in a certain environment where you think all the old people are to be respected, they would never do such things. And also where certain things are normalized. Yeah, men are like this. Come on. What can they do? Is their hormones? Don't be like this. Or look how you were dressed. So there are so many aspects that, yeah, that, that play a role here. Yeah, definitely. I saw, I think it was last week, something on, on the internet about 
uh, causes of rape. It was like a diagram and all like a legenda with all the different, um, you know, things like, oh, what she was wearing or uh, whether she was intoxicated or not or uh, where she was walking. And then there was one rapist. And the whole diagram was, of course, that color. Like, that's the only thing that causes rape. It's the rapist itself. Yeah, yeah. And I think by speaking up, by getting rid of our shame, we are putting the shame on the on the rapist, on the perpetrators, on the street harassers, because they have to be ashamed of what they're doing and not us. Yes. And I want to play one last testimony that is, is a little bit longer, but it's very rich because it contains a lot of the things we just discussed. Um, the person was very kind to share quite a lot with me. Um, yeah, we decided to do it. Uh, we were um, almost about to do it and we were already without clothes, but I decided that I didn't want to. So I told him that I didn't want to, but he kept going. He said, Nothing, basically, it just kept going. And then I just shut up. And everything happened so fast. Then, obviously, it was kind of a little bit traumatic because then I was crying all the time. But not even then, he stopped. When the day was over, so I was alone in my room that day. I remember that I was thinking... Oh, I feel so bad that I felt really, really bad. I felt terrible, but I couldn't conceptualize why. Why would I feel that bad, you know? Then I thought, oh, yes, this is this is a punishment. Because all my life I heard that women shouldn't sleep with men that are not in love with. I didn't love this guy, therefore this is my punishment. I don't feel right, so it's my fault. I, I I shouldn't have told him yes. I mean, even though I said no, I told him yes already at the beginning. So it was a very confusing time for me. 16 also, very young. Uh, zero sex education, not a school, Catholic school. Very difficult topic to speak with my family. Therefore, yeah. I was lost. He tried again the, to have sex with me, and and I said no. And it was really like he wouldn't stop. So that was the day that I, I pushed him and, and said that, yeah, uh, we break up. Uh, only when I was 13, I could, um, <laughs> I realized that that, that that is called rape. And it was quite shocking. It was quite an emotional time for me. Um, definitely doesn't define me. Doesn't define me, especially because I have found my feminism and I have read so many other stories. And um, yeah, I feel that it's my responsibility to share this with other women, not only because it's a way to express it, but also if if I could could um, help to other women that might be in the in yeah in a similar situation or about to yeah I mean they should think about it better and obviously this is also important for the men that no oh, I don't know if they listen. 
this or yeah they are racing boys or they a little bit of a uh, as a as, as a way to to be conscious about the situation that uh, think that um, a lot of things that they have done um, were really really terrible and um, well I guess he doesn't even at least in my case he doesn't even um, <laughs> he doesn't even conceptualize it that I don't think he 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 he, well, in his mind, he didn't mean to. He didn't mean to. We, they, they teach them to to, to men, to boys, that um, a woman know is I have to convince you, and this is terrible, terrible. I hope we can change this. Well, at least uh, we are here uh, in 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 the fight to change this for the future. Yeah, that's it. That was my story. I hope it it it, it serves as um, yeah, at least as a reference for young women, and also as a solidarity voice with other women that have yeah that had this similar situations. Yes, for me, listening to all the testimonies, and obviously one was my own. Yeah, it brings back so many images and I can identify with so many of the things the women are saying. And um, yeah, I'm happy that we are speaking up now that uh, I kept inside of me so many things for so many years that because of shame, because of oh, don't be so weak, don't exaggerate all the things we discussed, you know, but once people start talking about it, you give other people um, the opportunity to also speak up, to get rid of their shame and um, for me also one of the um, things that helped me in this journey and this person also just said it is finding feminism um, there have been also other things but um, feminism for me has played yeah a huge role um, in my healing in my own healing and I know you did that you're also a feminist and of course, if you want to say something to what we just listened to, feel free. But I would also like you to tell us what feminism is for you and what it means to you. Um, yeah, I think if I'm going to um, explain what feminism means to me, it's, we're going to go to like on a different road. So I think I might first want to yeah respond to this one because I can see that like we are currently talking with the video uh, and I can see that it affects you emotionally. And I was just wondering which emotions go through you right now um right now i think it's it's more sadness while well, usually i get angry but <laughs> at this very moment it's sadness but it's also um hope and i don't know if not joy is maybe a stupid word but i'm happy that we're speaking up I'm happy that um, the women that I asked were very free to share these things with me. I didn't have to convince them nothing. They were like, yes. And uh, this person actually gave me the idea of doing this episode because she shared a lot of other things with me. And then I said, okay, we need to, to do an episode on this. So I'm also happy that we are having these conversations now, happy that I can also speak up, that I don't have the shame on me anymore, you know? So I have sadness, but also happiness and hope 
Yes. And is, has feminism helped you with that? You said. Yes. How, how did it help you? Um, it has helped me in in a lot of ways. I mean, different things have helped me. I'm a believer, so my faith has helped me. My partner has helped me. My uh, yeah, being a mother. So there there are many things that have helped me. But feminism has helped me in a sense of I find it a very empowering movement theory. I like that it's not just theory, but it's also a movement. Um, it's very inclusive. It's um, yeah, it it speaks out um, the truth, the things that are happening. It gives us um, not only women, um, minorities, marginalized communities a platform to raise our voices, to come together, to change this world on so many levels, not just when it comes to sexual harassment, when it comes to the environment, when it comes to women's rights, when it comes to racism, capitalism, to so many things. Yes, reading so many different authors like Audre Lorde, Kimberly Crenshaw, Maya Angelou, just to mention a few, Sara Ahmed, has empowered me because it has also given me the words of things that I felt, that I experienced. And this, I think, to me at least, is the beauty of academia, that um, things that you feel or things that sometimes people tell you is just in your head, they're actually true. They're words for it. They're concepts for it. They're theories for it. People write articles about it. They're conferences about it. And this is everything that you find in feminism, that it's it's world-making, as Sara Ahmed calls it. Um, it's not just theory, but it's also action on the ground and it constantly evolves it's not static um, it's not owned by anybody you know and it's so inclusive because it's also for men and um, I think everything that is happening right now and this is where I have a lot of hope yeah it, it's we, we are speaking up we are not hidden anymore we are yeah we are speaking up and I find this very good so now we want to hear from you <laughs> how is how it was for you to hear these testimonies and then maybe you can share with us what feminism is for you. Um, yeah, I find it difficult to hear such testimonies because especially like there's one, and I think many women have that fear, but one, my biggest fear is being raped, not even being beaten in an alley or broke, break an arm or whatsoever. It's, it is being raped because it's so, as I, as I told you, like one negative experience can be defining for your future especially sexuality is very important if you want to build a relationship with someone and yeah. i think it could be catastrophic if rape stands in that way so luckily i don't have any negative experiences but i also find it i always find it difficult to hear such testimonies because i know how it can affect um the one that is being raped because of course it's not only women it's also men yeah uh, so sexual violence yeah. is always um yeah, can affect can affect a person uh, tremendously. Uh, but well, what feminism means for me, it's I really liked your description. Actually, I always like in the masses. I always like the way that you could put things into words. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that always. But for me, of course, uh, well, feminism is about gender equality. That's clear. Um, so that means that women should have the same opportunities and rights as men. Um, but most importantly, for me. Personally, uh, feminism is about fighting for the acknowledgement of women's strength, because of course, feminis feminism is also for men. Uh, but for me, it's mostly about acknowledging women's strength. So women are objectified on a daily basis, but they are so much more than only their beauty or their body. 
I mean, they are ambitious, they are smart, capable of so many things, but I feel like right now this is not acknowledged enough. Um, and I also feel like women have to meet a higher standard than men in order to be appreciated equally, especially in a more professional uh, professional sphere. So feminism for me is about moving away from that objectification of women and seeing their true worth. Yes. And why did you decide to, to do this master's in gender studies? Because I, <laughs> I was doing a board year with uh, a lot of men, a lot of guys, <laughs> uh, lovely guys though, but there were some, not necessarily sexism within our own board, Uh, but I had to go to different network meetings um, and there was a lot of sexism over there. Like as a woman, I was not taken seriously. Even if I was, um, you know, uh, called someone and um, arranged uh, an appointment with them as a company that we could, for example, collaborate with, uh, going there, having that appointment, they would not take me seriously. They would look at my male counterpart, which I found very frustrating And also one time at a network meeting, I was sitting between two older guys. I think they were 60 or something. And I was there to network, to, you know, propose the things that we could offer to the different companies and solely as a professional setting. And still, I know, I just felt that they were crossing a certain line, you know, being a little mm -hmm. bit blurry and stuff, which mm -hmm. I found very uncomfortable but I had experienced it before <laughs> multiple times at network meetings like that. So I didn't think about it twice. But then at a certain point, one of the guys was kind of like right next to me. He was very close, um, whispering in my ear. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> very gross. <laughs> I was just sitting between two guys, you know, yeah. was, they were very close next to me. And he was asking me whether um, he made me horny. Because I was so red. But the reason that I was red was because I knew how the guys would be. So I wore a lot of clothes, even though it was 30 degrees outside, we were having a barbecue. I was just bloody hot, you know. <laughs> That's why I was red. But at that moment, he made me feel so uncomfortable. And even wow. asking the question, like the audacity. Yeah. And I had the, the freeze reaction. And afterwards, I was angry at myself for not saying something. And that was the moment that I felt, okay, I need to find the strength that i know that i have in me yeah um, and i feel like feminism also helps with that but you, you know as, as you said you know giving words to the things that you feel are not right and they give you the tools to understand them and do something about it and that's why i really find feminism so important thank you judith for sharing this thank you i want to know now what your favorite book is oh um, I really love books, uh, mostly about love or thrillers. Um, I just fin finished The Handmaid's Still by Margaret Atwood. Um, I think you know the the Netflix series. Yeah. Perhaps. yeah, yeah. I just read the, the book. Very well written and also interesting. Um, I don't know if you've seen the series. No, but I know about it. Okay, well, yeah, it's, I don't know if your listeners know it, but it's about yeah. uh, Gilead which is a city uh, dealing with a strong declining birth rates due to infertility. And therefore they created a violent system in which men hold all the power and women none. Uh, the story is written from the perspective of June, uh, who is a handmaid, which means that she births children for households who can't have children themselves. 
this requires a ceremony <laughs> in which handmaids are just basically raped by the men of the household. And after birthing the child, the handmaid goes to a new household. And I find this idea super frightening, but also very intriguing at the same time, because it touches on topics like uh, sexual consent, like we talked about, but also reproductive autonomy. So that's the book that I just finished. Um, and I think actually the Netflix series is a very good addition to it. Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite book? Um I've had this question already a few times on my podcast. So for people who listen to all my episodes, I will oh. say the book that I'm reading right now, which is Americana by uh, Chimamanda Negociadici. I don't know if you know the book. Um, it, I, I don't want to share anything. I just want actually people to go and get it and read it. It's called Americana. It is so good on so many levels. Like, just get it. That's my answer. That's good marketing. <laughs> yes. I'm not getting any uh, any anything out of it, but yeah, I can highly recommend it. It's it's really good. And Judith, who has been your salt? Who has inspired you? It might be cliche to say, uh, but I think my mother, because um, I feel like she always follows her heart, regardless of what other people around her might think or the risks that certain decisions may involve. Uh, I mean, ten years ago, she was on a holiday in Mexico with uh, with her friends. And my mother, she brought heels, which you can imagine is not a good idea if you go to Mexico with all its pebbles. So the first day she bought some sandals in a local store in San Miguel, uh, which is a small city. And she was really sold by the beautiful colors of the sandals and its comfort. And she just decided right there that she was going to bring it to market in the Netherlands, which I find very interesting because she was having a communications job. She had no experience in setting up a business or whatsoever. And she did it anyways. With oh, wow. Yeah. She's still doing it? Um, yes, she is. But she decided to uh, kind of retire. Uh, okay. So she's been doing it for 10 years, almost 11. Uh, and I think December 1st, uh, she's going to quit, which I find very difficult because it's it's like her fourth baby, sort of. <laughs> and Yuri, to whom do you want to pass the salt and what do you want to say to them i want to pass uh, the salt to those women and men who feel that there is something not right in our society that there is sexism racism homophobia but who don't know how to change this um, i would say educate yourself learn about the way that groups are marginalized and oppressed and start to change within yourself you know, be an activist start an account like mine or just reflect on your own behavior and think about how you can help to create that change Because I know that's how it started with myself as well, as I told you. Like there were certain things that I felt were not right. And I just decided to educate myself. And now I feel like I know where I want this society to go to. And I want to contribute to that as well. Yes. I had a conversation the other day with a, um, with a man. And um, I realized quite often when I speak with men that they become very defensive or aggressive or offensive when it comes to these kind of topics. And at one point I say to him, Why don't you just listen? Why don't you just listen to what I'm telling you? And why don't you just believe me? And why don't you do something? Why don't you become my ally? For instance, I told him, if you walk, I mean, this is all over social media as well. If, if it's at night and you see a woman walking in the street, go to the other side of the street. Don't walk behind her. Even if you don't want to do anything to her, just cross the street because you will make her feel uncomfortable. And then he just looked at me and he didn't say nothing anymore. And I really like what you just said. I think it's really important that we 
don't have to educate everybody. People also have to do their own homework and see, okay, it doesn't affect me. Never happened to me. Um, also this idea, not all men, <laughs> but what can you do about it to support people who have experienced sexual harassment, physical abuse, rape, and so on and so forth. So I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. I think you made a very good point over there. Because I also, when I first started this account, and we still get the response from men sometimes that they feel like we are against all men. And of course, catcallers are predominantly male, but that doesn't mean that all the men are catcallers. And I also feel like, especially things like street harassment, it is a it is a societal problem. It's a problem of everyone. And we can like the, the chances are bigger that we are going to solve it if we work together yeah so that we with men who also don't support this behavior stand against the men who do this behavior so that's also what you say like we want it's not that we are against men not at all we want them to be our ally yeah so call out your friends cross exactly. the streets <laughs> yeah. educate yourself yeah. and a lot of other things believe us <laughs> What's your question for me, Judith? Um, you already asked me a lot of questions, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm also interested in you, of course. <laughs> no, it's a two-way street. <laughs> But then we're going to the same topic again. I don't know. Do you want to have a question about this topic or a different question? Just ask me whatever you want to ask me. Okay, I'm just going for something else then. I'm just gonna. Yeah, okay. So I know that you are from Greece. And I was wondering, because I know that in for my thesis, I wanted to do it about sex education. Because I think in the Netherlands, we can improve on that. And I was wondering, how is it in Greece? Yes. Uh, I didn't go to school in Greece because I grew up in Germany. But there is actually no sex education in Greece. And um, it is something, I mean, I'm not an expert on that. But it's something that it's actually right now, Greece has um, its own Me Too movement. Um, a bit later, maybe than in other places. But uh, yeah, we've had since the beginning of the year, 11 femicides. We've had sec uh, several um, sexual abuse cases with famous people. Um, two of them are in two, at least two of them are in jail. One was the director of the National Theater of Greece, and he was raping and abusing boys for many, 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 many years. Oh. And the boys started speaking up and giving testimonies in an extremely detailed way. And he's in jail right now. Uh, the other one is a very famous actor, director. Women started speaking up, famous women. He's also in jail. So there is a lot happening right now in Greece, a lot, a lot. And one of the topics is um, also sex education in the schools, which to me is so important. It's so key. Yeah. So I hope things will change. I have hope. We are now almost at the end of our conversation. And my listeners know that I always honor a woman at the end of my podcast. And today, of course, I want to honor... Tarana J. Burke. She's the founder of the Me Too movement. And uh, I want to share a little bit of information about her and then finish with her two quotes. So Tarana is striving towards ending sexual violence and other systemic issues disproportionately affecting marginalized people and particularly black women and girls. She's a native of the Bronx and her passion for community organizing started in the late 1980s. In 1998, she was the director of a youth camp when she met a young black woman who shared her story of sexual violence and abuse with her. Soon, she found herself meeting dozens. As a survivor herself, these were the stories she identified with personally. 
She realized that too many girls were suffering and surviving abuse without access to resources, safe spaces, and support. She founded the hashtag MeToo movement to create a world free of sexual violence, and her theory of empowerment through empathy is changing the way the world thinks and talks about sexual violence, consent, and body autonomy. Tarana has used her platform to share her long-standing belief that healing is not a destination but a journey. This philosophy has inspired millions of survivors who had to live in isolation, dealing with pain, shame, and trauma due to their experiences. She has received several accolades, including the 2017 Time Person of the Year and the 2019 Sydney Peace Prize, among many other honors. And she has also just published her own memoir called Unbound, and the hashtag MeToo movement has, has its fourth anniversary. Um, it had it a few days ago, celebrating the many survivors, disruptors, and allies who keep the conversation about survivor justice front and center. And it's a movement that can only grow, grow stronger, in my opinion, through our collective force while we are healing, organizing, and acting together. And I want to finish with Tarana's words. She says, there has to be a shift in culture. We have to have conversations about systems that are in place that allow sexual violence to flourish. And when one person says, yes, me too, it gives permission for others to open up. So let's continue that path. Let's continue that work, your work, Judith, yours and, and Rose. And yeah, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak to us. And of course, I will upload your information on my website, Instagram. So my listeners, you can follow um, Cat Calls of Nima, the great work that Judith and Rose do. And maybe you got inspired by today's episode to found your own movement in your own city. Yes, portraying these things that are happening on a daily basis. And um, yeah, thank you to everybody for listening. If you've been enjoying Salt, please consider rating the show on Apple Podcast. And if you have enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could share it on social media. Um, yeah, we need to spread the word. So thank you, Judith. I don't know if you want to say something before we close. I just want to thank you for inviting me and having this uh, wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Something that is loved is never lost. I'm Stella Salieri and this is Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast.